Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the post-row registration edition. This week, we're talking about what the closing of a women's medical center in Dayton means for abortion access in Ohio, whether new voter registrations will make a difference in November, if Democrats flip-flopped on their support for student loan forgiveness, and why Ohio is hunting for hundreds of thousands of holes. Joining me this week is reporter Jesse Ballmer. Welcome back, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and since you're here as a fellow Buckeye fan, and since the Ohio State University versus Notre Dame game is happening this weekend, I thought I'd get your quick prediction. Yeah, I mean, go Bucks! They're definitely going to win. <laughs> I'm excited that football season is back. It's like the first sign of fall. I know pumpkin spice lattes came out this week, but I think college football is the true beginning of the season. I agree. So our first topic is Dayton, specifically the Women's Medical Center in Dayton that will close in mid-September. The clinic, which used to provide surgical abortions, says it no longer basically has enough patients at this location or one and one in Indianapolis to stay open. Yeah, so this is maybe the first big change that we've seen since Ohio went to its six-week abortion ban or after uh, fetal cardiac activity is detected, which happened shortly after Roe v. Wade was overturned, really just hours after. And the clinics in Ohio and the abortion providers in Ohio have continued to offer abortion up until that point in the state. And then some are offering kind of navigators or abilities to, to help people go to other states. But if this clinic closes, it'll be the first major move since since that law took effect, the Dayton's Women's Med is saying that between their location and the Indiana location, just because of the ways laws have changed in Indiana recently, it's just not an option to keep them both open. And no plans for the Planned Parenthood locations to close as of yet in Ohio. Correct. Like every other facility that I checked with that day said that they were continuing to operate. One thing that's worth noting is uh, Republican lawmakers are interested in banning nearly all abortions in Ohio. And if that were to happen later this year or take effect, you know, a few months after that, that could certainly close a variety of these locations. Yeah. And Women's Medical Center is more of an independent, like they had these two locations, but like Planned Parenthood's more national. They offer things like birth control and pelvic exams and other and like sexually transmitted infection, like treatment and diagnosis. So it's possible that they continue after a full ban, just in a different capacity, right? It's quite possible. I think all of these locations are really looking at what services they're offering, what services they might offer going forward, what could happen with Ohio law, what could happen with a pending Ohio Supreme Court case that is trying to make the argument that abortion is protected by the state constitution, what might happen in other states or surrounding areas where people are going to obtain abortions. Another thing that people talk about is whether this will be put on the ballot for Ohioans to vote on, and that's something that could happen, but at the early that would be 2023. And for some of these locations, as the Dayton Clinic is, is indicating, that could be too late. Yeah. So our second topic is also about abortion, but it's more about the statewide reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So since the Supreme Court made its decision in June, Ohio women have been outpacing men in new voter registration, according to two different analysis. So one was by a group called Target Smart, and the other was by the New York Times. And they put it between 6 and 11 percentage points, like women outpacing men in new voter registration. And these women, they say, are younger, so under 35, and more likely to live in urban areas, and far more likely to be democratic. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You worked on this story, but how did they kind of figure out that women uh, were increasing in, in yeah. voter registration? So this is your point of contention with Republicans. So Ohio does not require that you put your gender. It doesn't even ask for gender on voter registration. And we also don't ask for party affiliation. The way you become officially a member of a party in Ohio is you vote in a partisan primary. So if you never vote in a primary, you're always registered unaffiliated. Other states do that different. They allow you to register with the party, but Ohio doesn't. So their like secret sauce, I guess, is part art, part science. They said sometimes you can look at a name and know. So, you know, Mary Beth Simmons is probably a woman, right? Whereas like Ronald Owens, I'm making up names here, is mm-hmm. probably a guy. And they said for those that they don't know, they used consumer data to kind of back up. So it's kind of um, the way political parties will use data that they have about voters to kind of figure out who you are and what arguments you might be open to when they knock on your door. And so they said they kind of get a picture that covers like 85% of people. And for the last couple of people where they just don't know, they used modeling. So a 25-year-old woman of color in Columbus is far more likely to be Democratic than, say, a 70-year-old white man in Preble County. Interesting. Yeah. So they made certain assumptions like that. Yeah. I think we've been seeing, hearing this a lot anecdotally that since Roe v. Wade was overturned, women on all sides of the political spectrum have been more engaged in in just seeing what this looks like. Before, I think the abortion debate was kind of hypothetical for a variety of people. And now it's much more practical, especially with Ohio's restrictions on um, abortion being implemented so quickly after the U.S. Supreme Court decision came down. And so, of course, Democrats are excited about the possibility of women who are upset about Ohio's current policies because most of Ohio's current policies were imposed by Republicans. Yeah. And if you look around the country, which I thought was interesting, is in a lot of these special elections that we've seen since the Roe v. Wade decision, Democrats are overperforming. One of the ones I highlight is in Nebraska. There was a special election a few days after the Roe v. Wade decision, and it was a plus R17, which means it's a very red district. Like, that's not a competitive district. And the Republican won, but he won by, I think it was like five or six percentage points. So it was way closer than it should have been. But that's also an important lesson for Ohio because the Republicans still won. And that's the big question that, like, I think everybody has about this data. Like, even if it's true, right, even if women are far outpacing men in registration, is that enough to make it over the, I guess, the 50 percent mark in a statewide race? in a place where Donald Trump won by eight points in 2020. Yeah, that's going to be the big question and the thing to watch going into these 2022 races, particularly in the U.S. Senate race and the Ohio governor's race, just because the governor has such a key role over which bills are signed and which ones are vetoed. It's certainly a topic that the Democrat running for governor, Nan Whaley, has brought up quite a bit. Governor Mike DeWine has... um, Very pro-life, very opposed to abortion access. I would say it's one of, if not his most consistent policy positions, has been, you know, reducing access to to abortion and but it's not a topic that he's really leaned into recently so we'll see yeah our third topic is a good old-fashioned political flip-flop so summer is coming to a close but flip-flop season at least in the political sense is getting underway so tim ryan and nan whaley both got accused of donning a pair of flip-flops this week for their comments criticizing the biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan so basically if you haven't heard about it, which I'm sure you have. The Biden administration said if you have uh, public student loans, you can get $10,000 forgiven if it was a traditional and $20,000 if it was a Pell Grant, providing that you as an individual make 
no more than 125k a year. So lots of people are, are going to be covered by this. And Tim Ryan and Nan Whaley both had some criticisms for the president. Yeah, this has been really interesting because both of them came out and had some concerns about kind of equity, whether it was fair to people who either paid off their loans already or who decided not to go to traditional four-year college and maybe didn't have as many loans. Yeah, Ryan specifically talked about trade schools. Mm -hmm. For example, if you if you made that decision instead, and those are arguments that we traditionally hear from Republicans who are critical of uh, the current president's proposal on this. And so where the kind of flip-flop questions <laughs> came in um, was whether they had previously supported policies like this. In the, in the case of Nan Whaley, she signed on to a letter with a number of mayors when Joe Biden was you know, just recently elected. And one of the policies was student loan forgiveness. Uh, reaching out to the campaign, they said that you know that was just one policy on a list of policies. One They've of many things. always been wary of this particular option and... So you can judge that for what you will. Tim Ryan has been, people have pointed out like various votes that he's taken or positions he's taken in the past. And he's kind of, he's got an interesting sort of uh, split on this. He says he doesn't oppose student loan forgiveness. He just doesn't completely like the way the president did it. And that's a very sort of middle of the road seems to be the the way Tim Ryan's running his campaign for U.S. Senate. Like, I'm going to take a very center position on an issue. Yeah, it's an interesting choice politically just because I think student loan forgiveness is pretty popular with people who have are going to have their <laughs> loans forgiven. I know, shocking. But so those might be younger voters who might be Democratic voters. And so are you appealing to a group of Republican voters um, and kind of chopping off uh, some people who might support you edgewise? We'll see how this works out. We'll see if it's a, a key issue going into 2022 or if we're talking about other things. Yeah, and full disclosure, I actually have uh, a little bit of student loans left and I am going to use the program. So I actually am benefiting from it in case anybody was curious. And I believe Jessie has already paid off her loans, though. I got, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I am taking it. Jesse is not in case anyone wanted to know. Our fourth and final topic is holes in the ground. About 100,000 of them, actually, uh, that Ohio is trying to locate. Okay, so here's kind of the scoop. Ohio used to be the center of American oil and gas exploration. And in late 1800s, early 1900s, it was pretty much drill wherever you want. We didn't require you to register or how close one hole could be to another. It was kind of the Wild West. And I think people forget about that when you think about Ohio. But it was a lot more rural, a lot more frontier in the 1800s. And well, what that means is over the course of the last 150 years, we've made about 250,000 holes in the ground. And now about 40 of them, 40 percent of them, sorry, are abandoned. And we need to find them and plug them before they leak. And so why is it taking so long to plug these things, Anna? Well, if we have 100,000 of them and we plug right now about 200 a year, you can do the math on how long that's going to take. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's hundreds of years. So part of it is just there aren't enough companies to do this. We, we want to do it in a way that's environmentally sound and in a way that will last. So like once upon a time, like 100 years ago, the best way to plug these was to put a tree stump down them. Like we cut it off five feet under the ground. You put a log down it and you put dirt on top of it and you called it good. And turns out that's not so good because what we've seen in certain cases is the trees and other materials start to rot. 
they create sinkholes, gas can like seep up through them, oil can leak out into water supplies. Um, so the way we used to do it was not good. Now we actually have to go in and remove all the equipment, like put concrete down like all the way below the water table. Like there's a whole process for how this gets done and there's not a lot of companies that can do it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you were saying earlier they find some intriguing items. (laughs) They have found old denim jeans, rusted out tools, like wire fencing, cannonballs. That's my favorite. It was basically like at one point, I guess you just put whatever trash you had into your old gas well and then you covered it with dirt and you said all's good. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It did. And one more thing before you go. Another fatal police shooting in Ohio is raising questions and renewing calls for comprehensive police reform. So Donovan Lewis was shot to death by Columbus police early Tuesday morning. Police were there on outstanding warrants for domestic violence and assault and improper handling of a firearm. But he was holding a vape pen, not a gun, when he was shot in what appears to be his bedroom. He appears to be getting out of bed in the video and is shot almost immediately after the door is open. And that seems to be the really big question, you know, why the officer fires the gun almost immediately after the door opens. Now, an independent investigation is underway, but, you know, this is one in a series of shootings of unarmed black men in the state of Ohio. And, you know, people are on all sides are asking questions. Yeah, I think we'll learn a lot more about this particular shooting going forward. And I hope we are able to get more details on that. Um, But the larger issue of police reform is something that we've been talking about without much progress on over the past couple of years in Ohio. I know Governor Mike DeWine has proposed a variety of changes, including like licensing police officers so you could possibly lose your license if there were if there were problems, more body worn cameras, just ways to make Better training, better equipment. Better training, better equipment, and, you know, sufficient money to to do that training. And so it'll be interesting whether this particular shooting creates any movement in the Ohio legislature to try to tackle some of some of the underlying issues. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Republicans in the Ohio legislature, specifically the Ohio House, have been talking about police reform since the George Floyd shooting in the summer of 2020. Uh, Phil Plummer and Cindy Abrams, both two former law enforcement officers, that like said they were going to take the lead on this. And it's been a little over two years and uh, legislation hasn't materialized yet. Correct. We'll wait and see. Maybe maybe next year. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like NewarkAdvocate.com.